Good stuff. Well, good stuff. Yes. Thank you very much. Great. Uh, they've done that song before, and I love it. It's a great song and really speaks to what we're talking about this morning. I'm sorry. I forgot to tell you guys. Um, four through six graders. You're at, they already take off? They're out of here. Okay. Sorry, guys. Somebody's got to remind me. I forgot. Anyway, um, think they're in a hurry to get out of church, do you think? Wow. Didn't know I had that effect on people. Um, um, okay. More than fine. Something more. We're talking this morning about this whole thing of sin management or freedom. A little subtitle that I have if you read the, uh, the series card. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. But if you get out of line, we'll judge you and mistreat you. Does that sound familiar? Too many times that happens among those of us who call ourselves followers of Christ. And I want to talk about that. And I want to tell you this, and I'll be very honest about this. I will rarely ever speak to you about a subject of which I am more familiar than sin. Just want you to know that. Uh, and when I, when I say that, initially my first response, when I first thought about that and wrote that here in my notes, I was at first thinking, to be perfectly blunt, about the many times that people have sinned against me and how I've been hurt and devastated at times, heartbroken sometimes, betrayed, felt betrayed at other times. But then I had to go a little deeper. And I remember all the times that I was the one that caused that. And that's not such a fun thing to think through. But it's true for all of us. Sin and sinful stuff, is the term that I will use right now, are those, those things... All of us are either tremendously affected by it, either by what we do or what has been done to us. A couple of thoughts that I want to give you as we think along these lines. Original sin, this is from Charles Hodge, original sin is the only rational solution for the undeniable fact of the deep, universal, and early manifested sinfulness of men in all ages, of every class, and in every part of the world. Charles Hodge is a great theologian, by the way. Well, now, I want to contrast that with another, maybe not great theologian, but a great singer, Elvis Costello. He said this, there's no such thing as an original sin. (laughs) And he's right. (laughs) There is no such thing as an original sin. Luther put it this way, be a sinner. Let your sins be strong, but let your trust in Christ be stronger. And rejoice in Christ, who is the victor over sin, death, and the world. That comes out of a letter that he wrote, by the way, and I have the whole quote that will be later today will be on our website in the afterthoughts section. Go to the website and you'll see that, and it's worth the read for the whole quote there. But uh, that's a great thought, too. Now, here's the thing. God is not, and I want to make this clear, God is not after you to sin less because that's what you're supposed to do or not do. God desires you to sin less because you have a heart or a desire To please him. That's what God is looking for. He wants you and me to experience freedom and a better quality of life, um, more so than having destructive, sinful habits that we're addicted to. He wants us to have that freedom. And you know, whenever I talk about, it's interesting, it's one of those terms, whenever I talk about sin or sins, No doubt, many of you have already thought about some different things, maybe some different issues, maybe some things that have been done to you that have have tremendously uh, had 
some really damaging consequences in your life because of what somebody else did or is doing. Some of us also start thinking about some of those quote-unquote pet sins that we all have that, that plague us at times. Sometimes we get addicted to. And I mean, it, it's, it's, that type, it's interesting how we go in different places with that. I mean, just yesterday, I was with a friend eating lunch. And uh, we were at, at well, I'd, I had, I'll just tell you, I had one of my favorite burgers. I'm a burger connoisseur, of course, uh, is uh, a TGI Friday's Jack Daniels burger. It's a great burger. Those of you who are alcoholics, you can have it. The alcohol's cooked out. But anyway, um, um, it just, just sounds good, you know, a Jack Daniels burger. And, and uh, um, I love those things. And we, my friend and I, we were sitting there eating that, and I started noticing something at a table across the way, and I, uh, we were just about finished and I said, we got to get out of here. And uh, they said, well, I said, I, I got to get out of here before I start sinning any more than what I already am. And uh, they said, well, I'll let me finish. I said, okay, go ahead and finish, but hurry up. We got to get out of here. Now, you can probably think, what in the world did you see in a few tables over that you, you know, wanted to get out of there? You ever see one of those Oreo madnesses? Those things are <laughs> wicked, man. Those are just... And I saw one of those, and I said, we got to get out of here, and we got to get out of here now. <laughs> I was lusting my heart out after that thing. Let me just tell you, they're so good. Would that have been a sin for me? Probably would have been at that point in time, okay? It wasn't, trust me, it wasn't out of hunger. Um, I mean, what's hunger got to do with an Oreo, you know? Um, <laughs> nothing. It's how it tastes. So you say, well, is that a sin? It can be. But you know what? It can be. But there are far more serious things. Some have struggled with the whole temptation of, of drug addictions or alcohol dependency. For some, it's been in relationships. For some, it's been the opposite sex that just continues to plague them. And, and, they, and they think of that. For others, it's been maybe just worry. Do we put worry without all? Yeah, we do. For some, it's gossip. Right there, it headlines the list. Now, and the thing about it is God doesn't make a distinction between the, the you know, mortal sins and the less mortal sins and the more mortal sins. It's all sin. Now, granted, there are different consequences, and I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. But it's funny in a weird way how this all affects us. So I want to make a statement. And then I want to give you three thoughts and uh, just kind of go through these fairly quickly and, uh, and, and get you to kind of think along these lines with me. Because here's the deal. Being a Christ follower affects your heart and your mind. And I want you just to think on that thought for a moment. Being a Christ follower affects both your heart and your mind. It does. It affects everything about you when you're truly following Christ. And it cannot help but affect those things that we call damaging or destructive habits or sins or, or whatever you want to call them, unacceptable behavior. It, 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 it affects that as well. So here's, here's the thing. Three thoughts I want, you, I want to give you on this and, and, and just kind of, kind of build with this. The first thing is this. You need to understand what sin is. And I'm going to go back to the original Greek to get you to get this. Sin, first of all, is missing the mark. All right? It's missing the mark. And let, me, and let me just say this. The mark is set by God. In case you're wondering, you probably know that. But the mark is set by God. Let me show you from a lexicon what that word sin means. It's a harmartia. 
Let me show it to you. Here it is. Harmon, this is the Greek word. It means to miss the mark, to err, be mistaken, to miss or wander from the path of uprightness and honor, to do or go wrong, to wander from the law of God, violate God's law, sin. That which is done wrong, sin, an offense, a violation of the divine law in thought or in act. It's missing the mark that God has set. For some of us, that might be an Oreo madness. For some of us, it might be something far more serious, much more damaging, like maybe an affair, like a dependency on, on some sort of drug or food or alcohol or person. For some of us, it might be being crippled and addicted to something as horrible as worry that just eats us up literally sometimes on the insides as well as on the out. See, it's, it's, a, it's a big picture here. It's a big blanket. And we have to think through that. And so many times when we think of sin, we think of that you know, poor person who's worse off than we when in fact maybe we're reveling in gossip and just enjoying every minute of it that we get and, and crippled at nighttime or in the middle of the night by worry. Hard for me at one point to realize, and that's one of mine, that's why you hear me mentioning it from time to time. It's hard to believe that that's a sin, but it's just a lack of dependence upon God. That's all it is. You start worrying about stuff, start worrying about stuff that not, doesn't happen. Sometimes you start worrying about stuff for, you know, what was it? Somebody said 90% of the things you worry about never happen. And so many times, I don't know about the percentages, but so many times that's true. So being a Christ follower affects your heart and mind. So we need to understand that. Sin is missing the mark. Number two that I want you to see, number second thought is this. The, this is important. The amount of sin that you commit makes you no more or less acceptable to God. I want to stop on that thought because some of you aren't going to respond too well to that. The amount of sin you commit makes you no more or less acceptable to God. And you need to understand that. You need to hear that loud and clear. It, you know what it does? It, it does complicate life severely. It does curb the quality of your life greatly. It really does. Because when you start thinking of things that have been done and that have been wrong, sinful actions and and sinful habits, they hurt people. They hurt you and they hurt those around you. And sometimes they have a long-range effect. Somebody one time was describing uh, to, to me, a, a, when I was a young man, the effects of sin. And he threw a rock in the water and he said, watch the ripples. And he said, that's what sin can do. It just has a ripple effect. And many of you have been at the end of one of those ripples that somebody maybe next close to you or close to them, has committed, and you were affected by that severely. Sometimes you were the one that caused that. The amount of sin you commit makes you no more or less acceptable to God, but it does complicate and it does curb the quality of your life. Very quickly, let me show you Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When I say the amount of sin you commit makes you no more or less acceptable to God, everything you were going to commit, every sin you were ever going to commit, was all, they were all future anyway. When you, when you came to, if you're one of those people who've, who've come to faith in Christ, when you came to him, everything you're going to commit. And, and whether or not you are, Christ went to the cross for all of us. Whether or not you've quite got your hands around that or your arms around that yet or not, I don't know. But he went to the cross for all of us, and all of, all of our sins were future. That's one of the, as I've 
mentioned before, it's one of the big one of the big rubs of the Reformation was that they were saying that many of the people were saying, well, did Christ come and die for our sins up until the point of salvation and from that point on we have to serve some sort of penance for them? Or did Christ come and die for all of our sins past, present, and future? And the comment that I always make and that I've read also that is made is all of our sins were future when Christ went to the cross, period. You know, that's the deal. So here's the issue. Here's a question that I have. Why are some sins more acceptable and some not? You know, if, for instance, we'll just use me. If I were to stand here this morning and say, hey, guys, I've got to confess something to you. Last night, I probably had one more drink than I should have. I didn't drink anything but Diet 7-Up last night. I want you to know that, okay? I knew I was going to be giving this illustration. Uh, no. And, uh, <laughs> no, but I did. I had nothing but Diet 7-Up. But if I, were to say, if I were to stand here this morning and say, guys, I just want you to know, I'm sorry, I, I probably had one more drink than I should have last night, or maybe two. Most of you, maybe not all of you, some of you churchy types would probably be after me afterwards, but, but some of you, some, most of you would... Most of you would probably, you know, say, hey, Rich, you know, you shouldn't do that. We'll pray for you and appreciate you telling us. If, on the other hand, I were to say to you, you know, last night I got kind of carried away and I was with, with a friend and there was this really good-looking woman and she was coming on to me and we just kind of, well, I kind of, I kind of sinned. I kind of failed. Kind of went away with her and had a one-night stand in Motel 6 or something. Um, I can't make it say the Hilton. That sounds too good, right? So, so uh, <laughs> um, if, on the other hand, I were to say that, I think you would have a different response. As you should, by the way. You know, and you should bring the pitchforks and the, you know. And, but at the same time, we have to stop and we have to categorize some things in this way. And that is this. From God's perspective, sin is sin. Yes, there are different consequences, my wife probably isn't going to leave me over having one too many drinks. The other thing, eh, there's a possibility, okay? And, who, and, and most of you would say, and she should, but we won't go into that right now. But you understand my point? Some things are more socially acceptable. Let me, let me get real serious for a moment. If someone comes in and I say, here's so-and-so sitting down here. I'll use this row because there's nobody over here. And, 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 and this person over here is here, and he's here this morning. And I just want you to know he's, he, he loves God, but he has a problem. He's a pedophile. Then our response is going to be a whole lot different. Again, it goes back to consequences. I'm not excusing any of those things, and you need to understand. But it isn't an interesting. Just look, think of yourself, how we can kind of laugh about one thing a little bit, chuckle about another, and get pretty disgusted, as we should, by another. Well, in all this thing, here's what I want you to see. Christ came for all of our sin. Whoever you are, whatever you are, wherever you come from. For whether it was last decade, last year, or last night. He came for all of us. We can never miss that message. Because that's the message of, of that's the good news of the gospel of Jesus. Now, here's, here's what I want you to see. And this, this third point is a long point. It's going to be fairly brief up here, but I'm going to add to it a little bit. Because all this brings us to this third thing, all right? Keep in mind, being a Christ follower, 
Being a Christ follower affects your heart and your mind. Sin is missing the mark. The amount of sin you commit makes you no more or less acceptable to God. Third thing, here it is. Following Christ is not about eliminating sin from your life. Following Christ is not about eliminating sin from your life. Let me keep reading my notes. You won't have them on the screen. It is a focused, intentional desire to have a relationship with your Creator. And, I will add this, to have his principles built in to your life. Let me say it again. Following Christ is not about eliminating sin from your life. It's a focused, intentional desire to have a relationship with your creator and to have his principles built in, really built into your modus operandi, into your mode of operation. That's what it is. See, here's the, here's the thing that you've got to think about. You and I have big sticks. If you cross that line, I'm not going to do this. If it's a, if it's a, if it's a spouse that's, that's had her or his mate step out on them too many times, they may say, if you do that again, I'm out of here. And they may be justified in saying that. I'm not, I'm not criticizing that. On the other hand, God doesn't carry a big stick like that. God says, you know what? I love you. I love you. I love you. I will forgive you, I will forgive you, I will forgive you. And somebody says, well, what if they do it again? Won't they step out of God's love and grace and acceptance? Eh, wrong answer. No way. That's, that's who God is. You say, well, doesn't that, doesn't that build into me some kind of antinomianism? I don't think so. Why is that? Because being a follower of Christ affects your heart and your mind. You don't want... You don't want to disappoint the one you love. You may, but you don't desire to do that. I've done it a hundred times. I've done it more than a hundred times to my wife, disappointed her in one way or another in our 32 some odd years of marriage. And the next time I do it, it will kill me. And I probably will. I won't try to, but I'll disappoint her in somehow. It won't be at Motel 6, but you catch my drift. Why is that? Because I love her. I don't want to disappoint her. It's the same relationship with God. Is he going to love me? Is he going to forgive me? No, yeah, he will, but, but, but I'm a follower of Christ. That's affected my heart and my mind in every way. So let me just show you this real quick. I want to take you to the Bible one more time and show you. This is a little longer than what I showed you earlier. And, and, and this is the thing. You know, God is not after you to sin less because that is what you're supposed to do. God desires you to sin less because you have a heart, a desire to please him. That's the thing. Now, let me take you to this. Hebrews chapter 10. Just follow along. I have it on the screen for you. Hebrews 10 verse 11. Every priest goes to work at the altar each day, offers the same old sacrifices year in, year out, never makes a dent in the sin problem. As a priest, Christ made a single sacrifice for sins, and that was it. Then he sat sat down right beside God and waited for his enemies to cave in. It was a, watch this, it was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to perfect some very imperfect people. That's me and you. I added that, just so you'll know. (laughs) Not in the text, but it is. Right there, we're in the Bible, folks. Right there we are, imperfect people. There we go. 
By that single offering, he did everything that needed to be done for everyone who takes part in the purifying process. The Holy Spirit confirms this. This new plan I'm making with my people isn't going to be written on paper, isn't going to be chiseled in stone. This time, I'm writing out the plan in them, carving it on the lining of their hearts. One Bible puts it this way. I will put my laws upon their heart, and on their mind I will write them. He concludes, I'll forever wipe the slate clean of their sins. Once sins are taken care of for for good, there's no longer any need to offer sacrifices for them. There you go. Straight from the New Testament book of Hebrews. Following Christ is not about eliminating sins from your life. God's taking care of that sin problem. It's a focused, intentional desire to have a relationship with your Creator and to have His principles built in built in to your modus operandi. How does he say it there in, uh, in verse uh, 16? Having my laws written upon their heart. You ever started to do something that you, you, you know, before maybe you had done a many, many times, and then you stop and you stop and you think, wait a minute, I shouldn't do this. God's going to be disappointed by this. That's what we're talking about here. That's the issue. Not because you've got to follow some stupid list. Maybe it's not a stupid list. But, but, but not because you're trying to follow some list, but because it's here. It's here in the heart and mind that God has put in your life. Let me show you two quotes, and we've got to wrap this thing up. Um, comes from the book Sacred Romance. Watch this. From one religious camp, we're told that what God wants is obedience or sacrifice or adherence to the right doctrines or morality. Those are the answers offered by conservative churches. The more therapeutic churches suggest that, no, God is after our contentment, our happiness, our self-actualization, or something else along those lines. He is concerned about all these things, of course, but they are not his primary concern. What he is after is us, our laughter, our dreams, our fears. Our heart of hearts. I can't say it better than that. That's what God is after. Our laughter, our dreams, our fears, our heart of hearts. Eugene Peterson in the book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, said this. All the persons of faith I know are sinners, doubters, uneven performers. We are secure not because we are sure of ourselves, but because we trust that God is sure of us. That's it, folks. Am I sure of myself? No. But I am sure of the God whom I serve and whom I love. I want to go through a long list in, in closing. And I want, this, some of these, you're going to find yourself in some of these people. It's a long list of people from the Old and the New Testament. Now, some of these names you may not recognize. That's okay. Don't worry about it. Some of them you will. Some of them you won't. Some of you, some of you who are really, really, really astute Bible scholars might recognize all of them. Doesn't really matter. All, I'll just tell you this. This list we're going to go through, they're all from the Bible. All the things that we're going to show you is true. And you know what? I'm not sure who, but somebody emailed this to me a few weeks ago. So if you were here, thank you. I forgot who it was. Uh, people email me stuff all the time that I might use sometime in something like this. And by the way, I welcome that. You know, my email is right there in the program. Email me anything you got. You know, I, I, I may trash it, but I'll read it first. Um, and, uh, and if it's got something good like this one, I just sort of put it in one of my, uh, don't know what to do with this file, and find it later. Um, this is a good little thing. Just 
you're going to find yourself here. Because here's the thing. When we talk about this whole, this whole concept that I'm talking about, when we talk about um, being a Christ follower affects your heart and your mind, there are some of us here who feel we're not maybe as, as useful as we can be because of something that we do or have done or are doing that's wrong. Or maybe it's something we haven't done. Or maybe, maybe it's something that's been done to us. Or maybe it's something about our own limitations that we really didn't have anything to say about. Maybe, maybe our, our, our stature or, or, or maybe a physical limitation of some. So all these things are in. So you'll see what I mean as we go through this. So just remember this. Next time you feel like God can't use you or doesn't love you or accept you for who you are, think about this list. All these things will be on the website later on So if you want, to, if you want these for the notes. So just remember this. Here we go. You ready? Noah was a drunk, okay? <laughs> Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Before I give this next one, with apologies to my Ivy League and Wellesley friends, because we know that there are no ugly women in either one of those, any of those institutions. Leah was ugly, okay? <laughs> Sorry, guys, I've got to throw that in there for you. I'm just harassing some of those guys. I love them. Um, we know people are judged by their smarts. No, no, I'm, I'm kidding. Anyway, go back to Leah. Leah was, by the way, one, for those of you who don't know, she was one of the wives of Moses and um, it's a long story, but basically, the Bible says she was ugly, you know? I, I, not much I can say about it. She was ugly, and, and uh, he, he worked more years later to get his next wife. So that was back in the days, which I don't understand where they had polygamy, but that's another story for another sermon for another time and that I won't talk about. Um, so anyway, let's go. Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was ugly. Joseph was abused. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson had long hair and he was a womanizer. (laughs) He was. Rahab was a prostitute. There you go. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David had an affair and was a murderer. Two really bad sins. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. Don't even think about it. Jonah... Jonah Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. John the Baptist ate bugs. Peter Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Been there, done that. Martha worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than once. You know, all these things are true. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. Timothy had an ulcer. Lazarus was dead. Long list. I'm in several places in that list at many times in my life. And you are too. Here's the thing. No more excuses. No more excuses. No matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, no matter what your inabilities are, no matter what your weaknesses or your shortcomings are, Jesus came lived, went to the cross, died, and thank God rose again for you and for me. No matter where I am on that list, and loves me and accepts me and wants to use me in a mighty way in his kingdom, whatever way that might be. It may seem insignificant, but it's not because God, in God's program, there are no little people. And that's the issue. Being a follower of Christ affects your heart and your mind. 
in every way. Let's pray. Lord, these are so important. Don't let us miss them. Don't let us skate through this without really focusing and thinking and reflecting and meditating on how this affects me as an individual. And Lord, we we are grateful for your love, for your grace, for your forgiveness. And we are also grateful that we are all people of value in your eyes, of incredible value. And we are so thankful that our Lord Jesus, that you, Lord, came and, and lived and suffered and died and rose again to give us, those of us who have come to you in faith and trusted you, to give us eternal and abundant life in you. We thank you for that. We give you the, we just give you the honor, Lord, for that, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.